Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Milk, just milk, just milk. Do you ever have pizza for breakfast in Italy? Is that a thing? No, 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 we don't no. have it. No, no, no. Are you like, like leftover pizza from the night before? No, it's not. We don't have it. Why no. not, though? Because pizza is bread, cheese, tomato, no. meat, or vegetables. It's, it covers all the main food groups. It's, it's the ideal <laughs> breakfast food, if you ask me. It's a cornerstone no, no, no. of a healthy breakfast, mate. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Not my thing. No? Not your thing? Fine. <laughs> Sorry. My girlfriend goes nuts at me because I like to sometimes have uh, french fries on top of pizza. Wow. Is that like disgusting to you? Is that f- no, deeply it's, offensive? It's acceptable, but um, yeah, let's say not so Italian. Because you have like potato on pizza in Italy, don't you? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But still, like, not the, the real pizza is the margarita one with nothing on top. I don't get that. I thought that's just glorified yes. cheese on toast, if you ask me. But yeah, oh, just sure. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the One Pizza Podcast. No, the One, <laughs> the one Football Podcast. I'm Dan Burke, standing for Ian McCourt for the next few weeks. I'm joined today by Francesco Porzio. Ciao, hello. Danny Cadena Jordan. Hello, hello. And making his long awaited debut is the scout in your house, Joel Sanderson Murray. <laughs> Boom. Good morning. Or, well, you're not really scouts, are you? So. No, I'm from the world, so I can't really claim to be from, from Liverpool, sadly. The wool in your cold disciple. <laughs> Uh, well, later in the show, we're going to be looking ahead to the restart in the Premier League, the Serie A and La Liga. But we'll start by looking back over the Bundesliga weekend today. Uh, Bayern Munich won 4-2 away at Leverkusen on Saturday, their ninth win in a row. Danny, how over is the title race now exactly? Well, I mean, you'd think it'd be done and dusted at this point. But um, honestly, like checking the, the matches up for both teams, Bayern and Dortmund, I'm a bit wary of just calling it quits just now. I mean, they even still need a couple more points, a couple more wins to, to seal the deal. But... I don't know. I think uh, the fact that they're playing basically all teams that are fighting for their life without any audience now, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting sight. Okay, so where could you see it going wrong, if possible, for Bayern? Well, Bayern's next game is against Gladbach, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gladbach beat them in the home game, uh, so that'll be interesting now. How will that go on in Munich without, uh, as I said, no crowd? Um, and the next one for Bayern is in Bremen against Werder Bremen, who are also like clinging desperately to life somehow. Um, and I don't know, I just think they're just going to fight de- to the death, that sort of game. Like they're just going to kick shins and uh, hope for the best. Hmm. Um, They've got no Thomas Müller and Lewandowski for the Gladbach game. Is that right? They're both suspended? That's correct. Yeah, they're oh. going to have to deal with uh, two uh, major blows there. Um, I think they have the, the, the manpower to do it. But having said that, if you're missing your top uh, assist uh, giver provider and your top striker i think you know there's 50 goals combined between them so it's it's something you're definitely going to resent mm. oh well still could be interesting then but assuming they do win it it's going to be the eighth title in a row at what point do you think bayern's dominance becomes kind of problematic for the bundesliga products or are we already way past that point now i think um it's already way beyond that point uh a, a colleague from argentina is making a huge point he works for fox sports here in germany as a sort of like the guy that sells the, the bundesliga to latin america and he had like a very valid point it's like Everybody keeps saying that I'm a Bayern fan because I talk about Bayern, but do you know how hard they make my life just trying to do my job to get people to watch the Bundesliga because they just <laughs> win the thing the whole time? So I think we are definitely beyond that point. Uh, having said that, I do think it's something that's becoming more and more common, not only in football, but in sports. Everywhere you look, there's this huge dynasty happening. Serie A is the case with Juve. PSG has been dominating for a decade. Uh, Spain has always kind of been the same two guys though, uh, here and there. Um, and I don't know, like even basketball's had a couple of dynasties recently, NFL had the Patriots, even hockey, like everything is kind of 
falling down the same you know, rabbit hole, I suppose. Mm. Man City won it two in a row in the Premier League, and we call that a dynasty these days. So, Mate, you won four <laughs> titles in one season. Mate. That's fantastic. Yeah. But I was going to ask you this later, Fra, but uh, we might as well do it now. With, with Serie A, I mean, Juventus are perhaps on course to win another title. Um, has it become a problem for Serie A, this kind of dominance of, of one team over the years? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was a problem in the last in the last years, not just about this year. And uh, it's a... Uh, it's not about Juve, the problem is more that the other clubs don't seem uh, very close to Juventus, a part of Inter and Lazio maybe this year, but this, this was the first year when there was really a competition, because the last years Juve always dominated, and uh, yeah. so I think now we're, it's getting better, I think, but it's a still, still a long way to, mm. to see this di- dynasty fall down as uh, <laughs> um, as some people hope, probably, but um, yeah, I think the closer team right now it's Inter in a more in a longer way. In a, if you, if we think about like what the next years can bring, because Lazio, of course, uh, is doing an amazing season, but I don't see Lazio to be uh, to overcome Juve in the next five six years on a long term. While Inter, I think they're. The strategy they have, they are approaching is uh, is, is interesting. So I, I think Inter can be the team that can destroy the throne. <laughs> I hope you're right, mate, for your sake. <laughs> we'll come back to Serie A in a bit, but just going back to Bayern for now. Um, I mean, you have to say Hansi Flick's done a great job since taking over Bayern in November. How good a coach is he exactly, Danny? Is this a, a honeymoon period, a kind of new manager bounce thing, or is he genuinely the real deal? I think he he's proven himself before. Like he comes. From- from the national, the German national team that became uh, world champions in 2014. So, like, he has some, you know, claim to being uh, a decent coach. Albeit he was assistant back then, but he also then picked up at, at Hoffenheim a couple more, uh, a bit more experience there as more in the managing aspect as well, but also the coaching part. Uh, and I mean, he's won 17 of the 20 games he's played with Bayern. Uh, so, uh, to say that it's just the players, I would have to definitely argue against that because he, you can tell that there's a different style of player, there's a different level of intensity, and. Um, I think that he's been able to pull off a couple of good tricks that have helped the team formidably to just like stabilize and become this powerhouse. Like, namely, Alfonso Davies pulled back as a left back, and Kimmich going back to the midfield. I mean, those two little, you know, uh, what do you call that? Those switches in the starting eleven made a huge difference that just provided this Bayern that is close to actually claiming to become the the, the highest topping. The top, what do you call that? The highest scoring team in the Bundesliga history. There you oh, go. really? Right. So yeah, they're, would, would they're you not say far away, is... actually. This is the best buying team since Pep Guardiola was there, or? Well, uh, I'm I'm very wary of of grading Guardiola because yes, he was amazing, but then again, Hank has won more things than he did in this time, so it's a very iffy debate. But I'd say it's he's definitely up for the job. I think he's an improvement from Kovac, if anything, um, and it's just basically up to the director and Oli Khan now as the new you know frontman in the team whether or not Flick is going to be the, the coach, so to speak, for the, mid, for the longer midterm, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely he has the claim for it, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, elsewhere in the Bundesliga, Dortmund won 1-0 at home to Hertha on Saturday. Before the game, Jadon Sancho tweeted, absolute joke, DFL. What was all that about then? Well, um, he and Manuela Kanji went for a haircut, and uh, the DFL fined them, if I'm not mistaken, or definitely reprimanded them somehow, uh, regarding that they just basically, you know, violated the safety protocol for the quarantine and the, the whole you know, coronavirus situation. So he was claiming that they were kind of wrong because he was literally just getting his hair cut and he was taking the precautions necessary. But there was a picture of him like in the shop without a mask and that sort of kind of like sparked the debate a little bit. But yeah, I mean, 
other than that, I think it was just simply that they're thinking as a player, which is interesting too, that they just see the DFL as this overbearing, so to speak, father figure, if you will, that are just really controlling about the situation, albeit with you know certain reason. But uh, but yeah, you could tell players are starting to be a bit fed up about the whole uh, state police kind of situation going down to the Bundesliga. And Sancho really needed a haircut as well. His first couple yeah, of games yeah, back yeah. after the break, he was an absolute mess, his head, wasn't it? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Joel, <laughs> do, do you think Sancho's going to leave Dortmund this summer? If so, where do you see him going? Man United? Liverpool? Is that a possibility? Mm. I, I think he's got Man United written all over him, sadly. Um, you know, I think that's a move that eventually happens. I'm not too sure whether that happens this summer because, you know, who really knows what the transfer market's going to look like after all the the chaos with the coronavirus, but I, I, I actually do, I, I was of the opinion that he would give Dortmund one more year before this all happened anyway, um, especially with the signing of Haaland, because, you know, it, those two together could, could easily fire Dortmund to a title. They've got the ability to, to both sort of do, replicate something like Ronaldo and Rooney of, you know, 07 or 08 United or Suarez and Sturridge 13-14 Liverpool. You know where the team, the rest of the team maybe isn't up to their standard, but they both got the quality to to fight above their level. Um, the, the thing is with, with Sancho, he's clearly going to move on at some point. Mm. You know, soon, maybe you know, maybe next two years. It's just got Man United big money, big transfer all over it. Just the way they do it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be, it'll be a very sad day if that happens, I think. <laughs> Not for Man United fans, obviously. <laughs> um, I'm, well, another player who looks like it's leaving leaving the Bundesliga, heading to the Premier League this summer, is going to be Timo Werner, who's heading to Chelsea uh, after being heavily linked with Liverpool. How do you feel about Liverpool missing out on him if that does happen? And how do you see him fitting in at Chelsea? Yeah, it, it seemed very much like the club wanted to play and the player wanted the club, but, you know, it's it's just not happened. I think, I think financially, just, you know, Liverpool... You know, I've, I've, I've you know tried to fill out their staff earlier on in, in, in you know you know the start of the pandemic, and I don't think they can go and spend fifty million on a player when the you know they've had to take play cuts and that for the rest of the staff. But no, it, you know what? It's it's for Liverpool fans, good gussets. You know, it's he is a quality player. He's clearly taken on another level this year. Like he's, he's always been fast. He's always knew where the net is, but he's. You know, Nagelsmann has played him as a number ten, you know, on occasion for Leipzig this season. You know, he's he's added more to his game. He's more well rounded. You know, it's it, I think he would have been perfect for Liverpool. I know some you know some people are saying maybe he wouldn't because they're not really a counter attacker team anymore. But I think he's too good. He's good enough to sort of adapt to any kind of team, and that's where he comes in with with Chelsea. You know. They tried everything they could to make sure Tammy Abraham wasn't their striker in January. Like they, they were linked with Eden Cavani, um, so they've finally got their man. I, I think he's their big number nine. But what will be interesting is that Chelsea do like to play primarily a possession game, and coming up against sort of a low block team, whether you know Werner's got to use that, you know, these skills he's learnt this year to adapt to that. But it's just if Ziyech and Werner. They're doing things you just don't want them to do when you <laughs> support a rival. Brilliant sound. Well, they've they've really sort of benefited from that transfer ban by the looks of things. That all they, they will be the team that could benefit this summer, given that they've sort of had a reserve of cash stored up now to just go and go and blow it all. And another player they've been linked with is Kai Havertz from Bayer Leverkusen. Fra, can you see him leaving Leverkusen? Can you see him going to Chelsea? Have you heard anything about that? Uh, I mean, 
this summer is very difficult, as Joel said, predict what's going to happen because of the crisis and the coronavirus. It's difficult to say, oh, a club will spend uh, 50, 60 million and to buy a player. I think uh, will be a very difficult transfer market for sport directors, this one. But, but part of that, I think Kai Havertz will leave uh, Leverkusen, if not this summer, the next one. The only question is, is going to, is going to Bayern or not? <laughs> That's the only thing. <laughs> uh, I think he's going to Bayern at the end, because it's, uh, it's the, uh, he's the next big thing in the German football. And Bayern Munich is the kind of club that you know wants to keep these kind of players in the Bundesliga. And uh, if they don't, uh, I would say that uh, Premier League can be a destination, but I, would, I wouldn't um, underestimate Juventus in this because mm -hmm. I know that the sport director of Juve has always been very um, interested in the player and also Maurizio Sarri had uh, nice words about Havertz when they faced him in the Champions League. So um, Juve can be also a potential club for his future. Danny, Bayern, Havertz? Possible? That would be amazing. Um, it would be interesting to see how they make that work because now since like, they've rediscovered Thomas Müller's position as the all-be-all -all, you know, assist provider in the team, Havertz kind of becomes a redundancy in that case, doesn't it? But, um, I mean, he would definitely fit in better than Coutinho did, that Hamas did, uh, which have been sort of like the two key, so to speak, signings, right? They've been loans, but um, the two big names that kind of came to the address. The question is whether or not uh, the priority is going to be Kai Havertz or is it going to be Leroy Sané, who I think they're going to have to pick one or the other, A, given the circumstances, uh, the money circumstance, basically, and B, um, well, yeah, you, you just can't, who are you going to bench? There's Coleman, who's arguably half the time injured. There's Gnabry, who's had an amazing season. Lewandowski is still part of the starting 11. Uh, Goretzka's been playing well. Like, I mean, there's no name you can just strike off the list and say, oh, yeah, Kai Havertz is going to be a solid improvement. So, I mean, I think it's the sort of thing that if they make it happen, it's going to be kind of like Goretzka, where they just wait or they agree with a player to terms that they'll buy the player the, the next season, so to speak, mm. like a 2021-22 market, so to speak. Yeah. Otherwise, impossible, I think. Well, I hope for my sake that they go for him instead of Leroy Sané. But, uh, yeah. Well, obviously. <laughs> I, I sort of feel like Leroy Sané is already a buy-in player. And I think Uli Hernas basically said recently, was talking about him as if he was already a buy-in player, wasn't he? So, um, I mean, if Havertz does leave Leverkusen, they've got a ready-made replacement in 17-year-old Florian Wirtz. He became, is that right, the Bundesliga's youngest ever goal scorer at the weekend? I think it was 17 years and 34 days or something like that. That's right. He broke the record by like 50 days or something like that. Which was, was held. Before. That's right. Nuri Shahin, correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, what have you made well, of him so far, Wurtz? He's uh, impressive. I mean, he's the typical case, kind of like Goetz in his day, that's just this really young kid that's ready to prove himself. Uh, and he's doing so in a team that is arguably not as stable as Goetz's Dortmund or Shahin's Dortmund back then. Um, but he's doing a fantastic job. He's kind of picking up. Uh, the pace and the form that several players are still lacking, namely maybe Leon Bailey, maybe uh, you know a couple of the big names they have. Karen Demerbay has also been a bit. Um, Bella has been a bit sluggish with the with the start of the well, the restart of the Bundesliga. So he's kind of stepped into that role. Um, and having a Kai Havertz is in really good shape uh, and a good team with Aladio and Folan up front to rotate and striking power. I think he's he's solid. Um, he's going to have a lot of competition too because Leverkusen recently also signed Ezequiel Palacios, who's arguably a very similar profile to his. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Leverkusen are just thinking the more the merrier because in the end, the whole idea of signing these players and bringing up these players is eventually to sell them and make big bucks out of, you know, Kai, uh, Kai Havertz sort of uh, trades eventually. Mm -hmm. So 
I think he's just going to be fine for the next four four games. Prove himself to be a, a decent member of the next uh, of the next season for the next season, and you know just renew him for after that and see where that takes him. Mm-hmm. And just one more uh, thing on the Bundesliga: Hoffenheim parted company with coach Alfred Schroeder on Tuesday. What happened there? Who are they going to get to replace him? Has there been any talk about that yet? It's been. It's basically we just went batshit over there. Um, <laughs> apparently, they were discussing the the season planning for twenty twenty for the 2020-2021 season. Um, and yeah, they just basically went to blows. I mean, that's not exactly what happened. Like, they just started like arguing and shouting at each other to a point where they're like, yeah, well, this isn't going to work anymore, is it? Um, and it's, I mean, it, it must have been really bad because there's four games left in the season, which makes it weird to fire a coach for match days while you're still mathematically able to qualify to Europe and you're playing a level of football decent enough to make it to Europe. Um, the results haven't been that bad, as I just said. And thirdly, well, I mean, there's no real public complaint about the guy. So it's been kind of like shady and they've both been kind of like adamant about the fact that they just disagreed a bit, which is you know a very coy way of putting it. Um, and regarding the replacement, they for the five, last four games, they're just going to have five members of the coaching staff take over somehow all the duties of the coach and during the game. Yeah, it's five. Wow. It's, it's the three assistants <laughs> and two of the, of the staff members are going to be stepped up into sort of like... Uh, like three main coaches plus two um, tandem coach plus it, wow. it's really weird. I don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna map out, but uh, it'll be interesting if anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for next season, there's still no real talk. Uh, of course, they, the wet dream for them would be Hansi Flick, obviously, depending on what Byron would do with him. But let's face it, it would seem very likely after all we just said about the guy that Byron's gonna get rid of him, are they? Well, yeah, he's under contract until when Flick. He signed a proper deal, didn't he? Uh, 2021, yeah. I think, maybe, yeah, and yeah. then they're gonna extend that for two more years if he wins the next championship. I think that's the clause in it, but. Mm. So it's like, uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem that well. Nico Kovac might be an interesting name. They're also dreaming about the American Marsh that might make it to, uh, to oh, Dortmund yeah. in the end of the season. But yeah, I mean, if Dortmund's on the table, I don't see Hoffenheim being a big player there. Either, so. Maybe this could be the future of management, like management teams. Yeah. Focus groups kind of yeah. coaching yeah. stuff. Yeah, just get the fans to sort of do it all with their polls Both or live on Twitter. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the Serie A season gets back underway next week. But first, we've got the semi-finals of the Coppa Italia to look forward to. Fra, can you remind us of the situation from the first legs of that one, given it was about eight months ago? <laughs> <laughs> so, on Friday, there will be the first game, which is Milan-Juventus. Actually, Juventus-Milan. And uh, the first game was 1-1 in Milan. So, uh, there will be the second leg. And on Saturday, they will play Napoli-Inter, which Napoli won the first leg by 1-0. Mm. Um, Interesting is that uh, there won't be extra time, so even if they, uh, they, they score the same points as the last game, there will be penalties, uh, because of course the teams are complaining, because after three months they will play a semi-final of a cup, and then on next Wednesday will be already the final. So it's a very short uh, competition, let's say. And um, so yeah, they will start with, uh, with Milan-Juventus, which is of course one of the most important games in Italy. So I think it's very nice to see a game like that as first game of Italian football after three months that for, for our country was really you know, difficult to, to overcome this, this crisis. So mm-hmm. I think uh, it's interesting and nice to see a, a nice game uh, even if Milan is not the AC Milan that Joel is wearing the, sh- the jersey <laughs> right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's still a good game, no? So, so yeah. 
All I will say about the penalties thing is we go straight to penalties in the Carabao Cup, and that's the greatest cup competition in the world. So <laughs> yeah, you know, of course. If, if, if it <laughs> works because, for that, then because Man City wins it every year, I'm, that's exactly, why it's the best exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're a team that cares about. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned the situation in Italy. There, how surprised are you that the season is actually going to restart, given how badly Italy was affected by the coronavirus at one point? Um, I think was this month about uh, talking about football was a roller coaster because one day they were saying, oh, no chance they will play this summer. Another day they said there is a chance. The other day they said every day is a different, different story. Still now there is the quarantine of two weeks if there is a, for the old squad if a, team, if a player is positive. So that means that it's very dangerous, the situation of Italian football actually. It's not very 100% sure that they will end the season. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if several teams have players that are positive, how can they play this amount of games in one month? So it's very unclear right now, the situation. They are trying to, uh, to change this thing about the quarantine, so only the player will be self-isolated for the time being of the quarantine and not the whole team. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's very difficult to end the season. That's why there are three scenarios. There is the scenario one, which is ending the season, playing all the games. Scenario two, which is uh, the playoff and play out if the season stops, has to stop. And scenario three is the worst one for me, which is the algorithm. And uh, <laughs> nobody knows what that, that does mean. I mean, <laughs> we know that uh, uh, it should affect the, the table in a way that uh, um, answers you know, all the bullet points by the federation saying, okay, we scored those points, uh, away games, it's a mess, guys, so I don't <laughs> want to get into that. But uh, it's very unclear, and the only interesting thing about the playoff is that, and playout also, uh, is that they will define this um, clearly in the next week, and also there is a deadline. So if the season stops before they will decide the deadline, must, must be around like uh, 10 of July, they will do playoffs. Otherwise, will be the algorithm. Mm. That's only in the case that Serie A cannot resume for another time in the next two months. Let's hope the algorithm is better than the Facebook algorithm because Donald, yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump would end up winning the Scherzo, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, I mean, assuming that the season does finish, hopefully it does. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you see Inter as sort of the long-term challenger for, um, for Juve. Do you think Inter still have a chance of winning the league this season? If no, not, do Lazio no. have a chance of winning it? Would you say? I think if, the, if there is a club that has more chances to win uh, the Scudetto this year, that it's not Juventus, it's Lazio. Because they are way more motivated, because they are closer, <laughs> point-wise closer. They won against Inter, I would say recently, because if you see the Serie A, it's one of the last games, but it's four months ago. So they won <laughs> against Inter in Rome. Uh, Juventus won against Inter, so Inter actually lost two important games. In the last uh, in the last weeks, I would say, but it's not really true. Um, so I would say the Lazio is the first one candidate to win the Scudetto. If not, it's Juventus. Mm-hmm. Inter has to have to be very careful because uh, fourth place right now there is Atalanta that they are pushing like uh, like hell. They are uh, playing amazing football. I think they are the best team in Italy so far, and they are. They, I think in the Champions League they are showing that. And I'm really happy for, for Atalanta because, you know, Bergamo is a, uh, the city that was most affected by the, the, the coronavirus outbreak. There were more than 50% people were affected by the virus in the city. Uh, wow. That's what the tests are saying. You know, tests are quite question mark, but that's what they're saying. 
and uh, you know it would be nice honestly also in Champions League to see Atalanta going further and uh, you never know also in the Champions League because it will be a few games a one game for the semi-final one game for the quarterfinals you know never say never um, I really hope that Atalanta can can go can go through the Champions League uh, for at least another round let's say that would be amazing wouldn't it yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, we've seen a few displays of solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement in the Bundesliga recently. Um, do you think Serie A players are going to follow suit when the football restarts there? And given the problems Italian footballs have with racism in the past, how do you think the authorities are going to deal with it, if, if at all? Okay, uh, racism in Italy, it's a big deal, uh, sadly. It's a matter, it's a problem that we have in our country, as we have also in other countries in Europe. In Europe. Uh, it's not just a matter of Italy, but of course, Italian football was in the in the news in the last years because of episodes of racism. The last one that I remember clearly was the one of Moiskin in Cagliari uh, when he celebrated. Uh, I think we, uh, I was in the podcast also the day after, and uh, also the Koulibaly uh, in San Siro. There were some episodes in the last year, so it's a it's a sensitive topic in Italy. Uh, the problem is, is in, it's in your question actually, because the authorities, I know, will do nothing. Because the authorities are, you know, trying to ignore the problem. And that's something that's happening all around the world. It's not just happening in Italy. Uh, I don't want to make comparison with other, with other countries because it's always difficult to make them because of also of uh, cultural differences. But uh, in Italy, authorities are very, you say, they're not very, you know, they're not pushing a lot in anti-racist campaigns, mm. let's say. They're more like waiting of, you know, what's happening and see and react after. But reacting after, it's always bad. Uh, so I don't think authorities will do something that it's important and relevant. Um, I think players will do something. Mm. Uh, depends of the players, of course. There are players that are very, very sensitive to the topic. I think about Romelu Lukaku, and uh, there is one of the... Uh, always like uh, uh, supporting and always uh, showing his uh, support to the black culture, and uh, and also Mario Balotelli that we are, I know we're going to talk later. Yes. But uh, he was yesterday in a in a protest in Brescia in his uh, in his hometown. Uh, I don't I wouldn't say where he plays because he doesn't play there anymore. But uh, <laughs> he was in a in a Black Lives Matter protest in uh, in Brescia. So. They are supporting in a way, but uh, it's not. I don't think it's compact like the Bundesliga show. Mm-hmm. But also in the Bundesliga, as you all know, it wasn't that uh, easy to protest there. The, the, the federation had, uh, you know, they were they had to look into it, and it's incredible for me, not in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens in Serie A. Yeah, you you teased it there. We'll get into it now. I, I could, pro- it. I could probably ask answer. you this question on every single podcast, but it's particularly pertinent <laughs> this week. What has Mario Balotelli been up to now? Trying to go to trainings yes. and bouncing back. <laughs> <laughs> so explain this to us. It's I still so don't really quite understand basically, it. Basically, basically, um, I know that uh, what's not very understandable is the certificates, uh, the medical certificate thing. Okay, last week Balotelli, you know that. Um, with Brescia, things are not going well. Uh, Brescia president, you all in the English football know him very well. He's not an easy person to deal with. And, <laughs> it's Massimo uh, Cellino who was at exactly, Leeds. Exactly. Right, yeah. So, you know, these two people combined, <laughs> it's like a nuclear reaction. You know? <laughs> so what happened is that um, uh, 
Cellino, now there is the, the thing that players have to extend the contract if they want to play the end of the season after June 30th. Mario Balotelli has a very specific contract because he has a contract of one year with the possibility to, no, of two years, sorry, with the possibility to uh, cancel the contract if Brescia relegates this year. So it's very likely, mm. of course. So Cellino uh, knows that the Brescia will relegate this summer. And he's trying to save some money, basically, and uh, um, to save some money and not pay Balotelli for the rest of the season, basically. That's what he wants <laughs> to do. And Balotelli, of course, is not very happy about this idea of the president. So what happened is that Balotelli, now they arrived in a, po a point that Balotelli don't, don't train anymore with the team, they're, they're, they're falling apart. But uh, what happened is that last week, Balotelli, uh, it's a very legal thing, he presented like a medical certificate saying that he had like internal problems, like he had like, you know, intestine things, this kind mm. of uh, disturbs and, uh, you know, you can believe it or not, but he had the, the, the medical certificate. So, so Barisha said, okay, fine. The, the, the certification was for one week and the expiring yesterday. So Balotelli, uh, the Monday, Monday, Monday night, he sent an email to the club saying, okay, I'm fine. I can train tomorrow. I'm coming to the facilities. Uh, Barisha said, says that they didn't receive the email or they, they see the email the morning after it was too late to prepare the individual training. So when Balotelli arrived, they said, sorry, Mario, we don't have, we didn't prepare ourselves. Plus the certification is until today. So today you're still on, uh, on, uh, you say on sickness. Uh, you're still sick officially. So uh, let's see you tomorrow. <laughs> and tomorrow is today. <laughs> and basically what happened this morning, he, the club asked him to do like a medical test. And supposedly today he will train with the team. Not with a team, sorry, individually, but in the same facilities that where there is a team. But you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, crazy. So, I mean, our colleague Davide was there to capture all of this on, on film yesterday. Um, yeah. Is he going to be sacked, do you think? And, and if so, where, where could you see him ending up? Has there been any talk about any other clubs being interested in him? I reckon he's, he's long overdue a move to China or somewhere like that, Balotelli, don't you think? I don't believe in China uh, <laughs> because, you know, going to China right now, it's... Uh, Probably difficult. Oh, that's true. Actually, a, yeah, I didn't think of that. A, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> it's difficult to go everywhere, actually. But China, <laughs> particularly, you know, there, um, it's a difficult situation for players. I see more, you know, going to uh, MLS uh, or you know, like uh, Brazil. Uh, some mm. of these places. It was very close to Brazil last summer, so I think it can be an option if they still have the if still have the opportunity. Uh, th there is also this crazy idea which I don't believe in, uh, which is Monza, uh, a team that, you know, Silvio Berlusconi, own team in the second division, Italy, uh, just promoted to second division, who are trying to make an incredible team. And we, uh, you've been, uh, you will uh, hear a lot about this team oh, because, you know, last summer, last summer they broke all the records for you know the most paid fee in third division the most the player with most paid in third division there are a lot of money guys is silvio berlusconi at the end he still has mm. money you know even <laughs> <Yeah>. if he's like <laughs> more in the 80s <laughs> and uh so he they, they declared yesterday that their uh, goal is to go to Serie A next season so they will try to do that 
uh, I don't think they will they will buy Balotelli because it's super expensive and uh, you know they will try to go with players that are more reliable in a way they can they can trust more because it's a very serious project. Uh, the man beyond it's Adriano Gagliani that uh, you might remember was the man beyond AC Milan in the last 30 mm, years with Berlusconi. So it's the same, you know, <laughs> asset that brought AC Milan to win everything. And they're trying to do the same with Monza, which is the, it's a, it's a small city, not very small, but it's a, it's a city close to Milan, uh, where, from where Berlusconi is. So might be an option there for Balotelli. Yeah, that will be an interesting one to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, well, uh, another thing to keep an eye on is La Liga, which is coming back soon in our lives, starting with the Sevilla Real Betis derby on Thursday. Um, Danny, there's an awful lot of La Liga football coming our way, isn't there? Can you talk me through this pretty crazy schedule they've got in Spain? Well, yeah, it's it's insane what they're trying to do. Literally, there is there is no stop. Like They'll have a, at least one football match between tomorrow, the 11th, all the way to the, I'm scrolling down here, to the 21st, 22nd. It's, yeah, it's basically the whole month. They're just <laughs> going to have games back-to-back. Um, so I think the plan is basically, obviously, to make up for time. Uh, they still have 11 match days. Um, and since the Champions League is a concern, and the teams that tend to be part of the Champions League have such weight in Spanish football, obviously, they, they're trying to make it all fit together so that they can as well compete in Europe without having a, a handicap, so to speak, right? Mm. And the, um, the Copa del Rey, has that been binned off completely now? or No, no, they're still figuring out a date because they're really adamant, which I find okay, but it's still, it's still crazy what they're trying to do because they want to have the game with, with an audience, period. Like, it's, it's not up for discussion. So the game is postponed till God knows when. Um, and it's because it's the first final in ages, or the first one ever, actually, between two Basque teams. Mm. And, like, they've been building it up, like the Real Sociedad Athletic Club match as the, the win-all, end-all of Derby. Sort of like what happened last, in 2018 with the Libertadores, Fandos in Boca and River. Same similar concept, but for Basque football. So they're really living it up to it, and I think it's fantastic that you know they want to do it with, with a crowd, but I mean, it seems like it's, I don't know, it, it's too much of a romantic idea in my mind sometimes. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of what's happening right now. The league is going to go full throttle, but the cup can wait a while. And, so, the, yeah. and by a crowd, you mean like not a full stadium, surely, like just a, a percentage of it would be full if possible, or...? They want as many people as they can. Okay. Um, having said that, it could be 30% capacity, it could be 100% capacity, it all depends on, on the virus of anything. Um, but yeah, like they're really keen on getting that happening, at least having that one game of the season salvaged with some people at the stadium. Okay. So, for, for play, I guess. Speaking of stadiums, Real Madrid are not going to be playing at the Bernabeu again this season. Is that correct? And, and why is that? Yeah. Well, um, they're also going to be revamping the Bernabeu to become like the new big stadium in Spain, right? Uh, Atletico Madrid have Wanda to, to talk about. Uh, Bilbao have San Mamesa, which is also an amazing stadium nowadays. So Real Madrid's uh, stadium has been arguably long overdue for kind of like an overhaul, and they're going to start doing that this summer. We're going to start doing it this summer, actually. Now it's a bit more complicated because of the virus and everything. But um, since they don't want to delay that as much as they can because of the games, you know, I, I, ironically, the one purpose of that stadium is the one that they want to get out of. Um, yeah, they're going to be playing in a... I think it's a Castilla Stadium. I forgot the name, but yeah. It's the it's, Alfredo uh, Di Stefano Stadium. Yeah, the it? Stefano one. That's yeah. right, yeah. Uh, they're going to be playing there the rest of the season. And the only way I see this affecting like the performance on pitch, seeing what's happened in the, in the Bundesliga with the home-away uh, ratio of, of wins, um, is if there's a crowd. If people do come back to the stadium, which is something they're starting to talk about with a lot more seriousness, and they're aiming actually to, to I think it's July, August. Like They're actually kind of 
trying to push this forward, especially Barca's kind of spearheading this, then it might be an issue. But um, till then, I don't see how playing in an empty stadium with or without a crowd, well, without a crowd in this case, uh, is home advantage of sorts, mm. you know? Well, the title race is pretty close in La Liga. Barca are two points ahead of Madrid at the top. How do you think that's going to pan out? Who's your money um, on? I think well, my money would be, oof, after my money, I would say maybe I'd probably put Madrid because their squad is a tad deeper. But um, the schedules are very similar. They actually face, I think, they, like four rivals overlap between two between the two teams, so it's very similar. And also, I think it's the fitness level that's going to make it uh, the big, the big, you know, um, variable here. The sides who's going to win it. Um, you have players like Ramos, who you could see were like, you know, Spartan soldiers training this whole time, locked up in their little house. But uh, you also have players who you can argue, you can actually see that they're really, you know, a bit out of shape or anything. Hmm. So. It just depends on, on how they bring the team back to par to have a really decent level in the squad, uh, what's, I think, going to define things down the line. Well, speaking of titles, after being accused of anti-Liverpool bias in the past, we finally <laughs> tried to redress the balance by getting a Liverpool Guess fan why? on the podcast. <laughs> what? I, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, Joel, um, sum up for me how you've been feeling over the last few months. I mean, Liverpool are obviously 25 points clear at the top of the table. Were you ever seriously worried that the season was going to get canned and Liverpool wouldn't win the title? And wait for the parade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, roller coaster of emotions is probably the the cliche term to use, but it definitely described the last few months. I mean, I mean, at the start, of course, we you know didn't think football would would come back. So, you know, I, I, I you know there was a few weeks where we certainly seriously thought we weren't going to get the title, but. I think, you know, and all the Northern Voyages shout on, on Twitter from every single other fan base in, <laughs> in the UK, you know, that, that did get you. But, I, I mean, it, once Ligue 1 decided that PSG were going to get a world title and their gap was, was 12 points, I think, um, I think it, we were more confident that if, if it was going to come to a climax, you know, Liverpool were going to get a world title, a 25-point gap. It would be absolutely ridiculous for Liverpool not to be given the, the title. But, Thinking about sort of the, the mood of the fan base at the moment, you know, the talk of the achievements has been has been dampened with everything that's been going on. You know, whether that will now start to get ramped back up, you know, I am starting to see a few things where the excitement's starting to build again, but it's it still feels a bit you know strange to talk about football coming back in the UK, especially because of how that country is dealing with with the virus. You know. With Italy and Spain, they seem to, to have got to a manageable state and obviously Germany's been great with it and the Bundesliga's been great to have it back. But the UK, you know, is it really right that football should be coming back? I'm not so sure. But I mean, I think we should maybe ask that question in a few weeks when, when football is is back. I think the excitement will start to build again. Mm. You know, if we, <laughs> we get to win the title at Goodison Park now, maybe. so. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. What's your what's your ideal scenario now, winning it Everton away? Because they're now talking about it, that might game might have to be moved, right? It, it's just been confirmed before we started recording, actually, that it's it's now okay for it to, oh, right. to go at Goodison Park. Interesting. Uh, I, that... <laughs> I think it's important for us to win it by playing, you know, and I think that'll definitely happen because I don't think City are going to lose against Arsenal or Burnley, um, which would then... Never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you lose against Arsenal, we could win it against the bar, please, fantastic. <laughs> that would be the dream. But then there's also a case now where, obviously, Everton haven't beaten us since 2010, 
we maybe think maybe we should throw this game and give Everton the win because no one will be there to see it. And so it doesn't really count. So that's something that maybe considering. But no, I think I think Crystal Palace on the 24th of June would be the next available date. We just want to get it done as quickly as possible, but it'd be nice for the players to have to win it on the pitch, if that makes any sense. Mm. So they're not they're not watching it and you know, watching City lose to Burnley and getting won the title because we the actual thrill of winning the title has maybe been dampened by this situation. Mm. So the players at least get to have that where they win it on the pitch would be something now. I suppose if you won it at Crystal Palace as well, that'd be a nice little bit of redemption for the Cristambul thing finally, wouldn't it? So It would be great to see Roy Hodgson possibly be really upset at Anfield. That'd be brilliant as well, considering <laughs> uh, his time in the club. Yeah, the, the, the thing is, with, with, the, with the title now is... The celebration's obviously been, been ruined. Maybe ruined's maybe the wrong word, maybe that's too strong, but for supporters, you can't go out with your mates. You can't go with your mm. family. You can't go and you know have a beer with, with, with your family and mates and, and celebrate this title. Liverpool fans have waited 30 years for this. No one would have dreamed it would be in this scenario. But it's there are more important things in the world right now to, to worry about, so maybe let's not play the violins on that, that situation. <laughs> but... You know, it's it's just so weird. So weird to win the title like this. How will you celebrate it when it does happen? And, and are there any plans for fans to meet up for a little party in Liverpool or anything like that? Yeah, you know. Not sure I could legally say whether there are plans. <laughs> knowingly, <laughs> what's going on. You know, it's, I think everyone has had the scenario, everyone listening to this and maybe speaking on this, where you've watched the game on, on your laptop by yourself because there's something else going on in the TV in your house or maybe you don't, you know, you're using a legal stream. Um, and then when, you know, your team wins and you sort of celebrate by yourself, but you don't really know what to do with yourself because you have your pent up frustration or pent up anger or mm. enjoyment. You sort of just run around your room. That's kind of like what we're going to have this scenario now. Like, <laughs> you know, say I'm watching Everton versus Liverpool on the laptop and we win the title at the end of it. And not really much I can do at the end of that. You know, I might have to go for a run just to get let off some steam, <laughs> which is bizarre. But uh, yeah, I, you know, not really sure how this is all going to play out. <laughs> I'll go for a beer with you, mate. <laughs> you know, we'll be celebrating Liverpool winning the title and the fact that it's the 10th of June and City are still champions of England, technically. So, you know, <laughs> everyone's a winner as far as I'm concerned. Oh, this is horrible. <laughs> Pratt, um, I wanted to ask you actually, Inter were awarded the Scudetto in 2006 after Juve were stripped of it following the Calciopoli scandal. Now, I'm not saying that's the same as Liverpool's situation. <laughs> can you remember how it felt to win the title in that fashion? Was it, did, was it celebrated by Inter fans? or It was celebrated by Inter fans uh, and the, uh, all the other fans were mocking Inter fans because of this, you know. <laughs> so I would say that was a celebration not because of winning the Scudetto, <laughs> also not because of Juventus relegating, <laughs> but because of, uh, you know, for what Juventus have done in the, in the last year, in the, in the years before, there was a sense of, you know, reveal of, okay, that's why we didn't win and uh, it wasn't the case for me in the, the years before that but you know in the late 90s you know there were some episodes the Inter fan in the 1998 the Inter fans were always skeptical about it so I think it was more like a you know a sort of relief okay now we can we can start to you know we finally win something 
and uh, President Moratti back in the day said that uh, I'm, uh, he celebrated and uh, because it was the scudetto of the you know the just uh, and you know it's very difficult to say that but that was the case and um, but then for example Juventus said this year that in case the league stops and they don't win on field they won't accept the scudetto Agnelli always said that then we have to see if they actually do it or not but uh, <laughs> that should be the, the scenario and I think also because of Inter I mean because they said okay uh, you guys celebrated that in 2006 uh, we are not like you so we don't celebrate this kind of scudettos <laughs> I would say that this was this is for a pandemic <laughs> that changed the world the 2006 because was because Juventus you know robbed for years in Serie A and you know corrupted uh, reference, but that's another story, right? <laughs> I mean, we've been waiting 30 years for a league title, mate. We, we are celebrating this one way or the other. Just, <laughs> just don't know how that looks right now because it's, you know, who, who don't really see how football is coming back. But, you know, maybe, you know, next week when it does happen, I'm sure everyone will be back on board with it. But this team deserves to have a celebration. They've won 27 games, 27 out of 29. Yeah. It's a truly phenomenal season. Yeah, the thing, people can shove the asterisks up their arse, basically. <laughs> no, the thing about, about this, the football coming back is that doesn't seem doesn't feel like it's needed for, for the fans. It's needed for the people who work in the football industry. Yeah. It's needed for us. It's needed for, for, for a lot of people, which uh, we are included in. Uh, not just the players, actually the players and the are the, the ones that probably need less about the restart of the league. Um, but, you know, that's why it doesn't feel like, you know, th there should be a celebration because it's something that they're doing because they have to do it for some reasons. And, you know, a celebration will look like, you know, a bit weird probably in the context we are living. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Bayern will have huge celebrations, honestly. And uh, I saw... It was that in Austria, like uh, Salzburg won a cup in a few weeks ago. Yeah. And they were celebrating, you know, with social distancing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I will wait one year to celebrate. Uh, yeah. Instead of doing yeah. that. Well, that's the thing about Liverpool. If, if the season had been curtailed earlier and you had been awarded the title, you would have thoroughly deserved to be champions. But you want to actually win it properly, don't you? And actually finish the season and it be official rather than just being kind of handed it like PSG have been handed it this year, for example. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's at that airport ends to any debate then. I mean, there's always going to be a bit of a, a cloud around it. I mean, I'm, I personally don't think there should be because Lupo won it on the pitch well and, and they will officially win it. But, you know, people love to have little baits to use to, to beat Liverpool fans with, maybe, but... I think what Farah saying is exactly right. Football has come back from means to an end, really. But mm. the total emotion of it is just completely. I mean, I actually have enjoyed having the Bundesliga back because I think you are seeing plays at their maximum technical ability because they've got nothing else to think about but the game, and you are seeing a lot of tactical things that are very interesting. But in terms of what we're in, in all in it for, for football, the emotion of it, it's it's just weird, isn't it? It's gone. At this moment. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people are always going to say stuff on Twitter about this because Twitter's full of bitter bastards, basically, but <laughs> I am not one of them. I just want to make that absolutely Twitter is the essence of football journalists. <laughs> absolutely. <Yeah. yeah. laughs> 
Uh, just one more quick point on Liverpool. We have a question on Twitter from Marco Majed. He, he says, if you absolutely had to sell Salah or Mane, who would you choose? I mean, that's a Sophie's choice for you right there, isn't it? <laughs> what a question. Um, Salah. I would sell Salah. Wow. Why? Yeah, I, uh, I just, I think Matt, Mane is just, I feel, got a few, bit more about him, I feel. You know, I don't know, it's weird to say with Salah's goals going record, but I think Mane could, Mane's a more all-rounded player. Salah's fantastic pace, great finisher, but Mane can produce something out of nothing, a bit more than Salah, just. Mm. Well, do you think, do you, are Liverpool going to strengthen this summer, do you think, if uh, if they mess out I on Werner? I don't think that you know they're in a position to right now. Uh, I think they'll sit and wait until the determination of, of the coronavirus plays out. If anything, centre harvest maybe where they'll go because I think it's in about going stage. And Lawrence, I think, already said he's probably looking to go elsewhere. So oh, what might a shame! Some... <laughs> 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 Thank God. Um, so they might bring someone in to, to cover him, but it might, might be sort of like a veteran on a free transfer kind of deal. Talking. Balotelli's available. Get him back. <laughs> oh, well, let's get Ricky Lambert back yeah, as well, as well mate. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> great hits. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can email us on podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball. Uh, we recently made a, a list of the top 20 club teams of all time in the One Football app, and we got an interesting tweet off the back of it. Uh, Asif Shariar writes These people are a bunch of idiots. If you look at the list, they think Bayern's 2013 to 2016 team was better than Rails back to back to back Champions League winners, and Man City were better than both of them. These guys are just messy and pep cocksuckers. Wow. So, <laughs> I'll just let that one hang in the air for a moment. I can quote Jose Mourinho saying, I prefer not to speak. If I speak, <laughs> if I speak I'm in big trouble. Well, you're going to have to speak because we're going to have the debate. Uh, we're going we're to talk about the greatest club team of all time now. Um, go on, Fry, you can go first in that case. Uh... Quoting Mourinho again, I would say Barcelona 2008-2009 and uh, that, that first Barcelona for me, I had the sense was unbeatable. You know, it's few times you have the feeling that you know, a team it's impossible to win against and I remember that Barcelona changed, I think, the last 10 years of modern football uh, more than anyone, more than anyone else. So I think that the first Barcelona of Guardiola is the is the big changer and the big best team in the um, say the history of the, the last yeah of all time of all time basically of all time yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I, so yeah. I would agree with that that was the one that we went for we, well we went for more broadly Guardiola's Barcelona 2008 to 2012 um, the reason I would give for it is that I think in England in particular when we talk about like great football like the reference point for that is like we want to play like Barcelona. Um, before that, we would say, you want to play like Brazil, or, or maybe you would mm. say, I can't remember who else we might say that about, but now it's everyone thinks of Barcelona. That's like the reference point for beautiful football. And that I think that is the, the sort of legacy that they've had yeah. on football. Also, it broke new concepts of football that now are, you know, common knowledge. Like, for example, even the word tiki-taka is something that now we use it uh, five times per day in our yes. articles. Before that, Barcelona wasn't even in the... In the, in the football language, so sure. really not a big fan of it, I have to say. But <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not saying it's my, my favorite team. It's my, the team I, I love most in my in my life. But I can say that for me it was the best team ever because changed football as I remember. Then if we go back to the 30s, 40s, 50s, now I mean, 
It's too difficult to say that, but yes. I think in, for what I remember, that was the best team ever. Any other takers, Danny? Um, yeah, I mean, having said all that, I think uh, 1970s Ajax is, I think, the benchmark. It was the first team that actually did what Barcelona is doing now. I think they were sort of the trendsetters, and arguably their figures were the ones that um, even Barcelona nowadays identify as their founding father, so to speak. Like Johan Krauf over there is, you know, not the, art, the Ajax player, he's like the cornerstone of the whole Barca football culture, so to speak. Um, doing that in a league that uh, is like the Eredivisie, obviously kind of has a little stain on it as well because you also think that then Bayern did the same thing three years back to back in the Champions League as Ajax did uh, and the Bundesliga shattering the records for them as well so I think there's always going to be like a huge contender but um, I would argue for Ajax in the case of Europe and allow me to add uh, Carlos Bianchi's Boca for Latin America by a mile I would say Fair enough, fair enough Joel, you're, you're wearing a vintage AC Milan top there so <laughs> I wish you could I mean pfft. The, two, the team that uh, the Wigan team won the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah the, well, yeah. Manchester City. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Why are we not shouting the goals of them? <laughs> it's not much a debate, mate. You know, I think we all voted for the Bar- that Barcelona team, and there's not much I can add to what's already been beautifully said by by you gentlemen. But I, f- I think they created art on the pitch, didn't they? And, and you know, that Champions League final, the one where they beat United at Wembley 3 1, was just the most perfect performance of a team. In a, putting that performance in in the final as well. In that surrounding, yeah. well, so Alex Ferguson said that that's the best team he's ever played. He's ever played against, basically. So if he says yeah. it, then that's uh, that means something, doesn't it? Just stuff. sort of addressing the uh, the criticisms directly in, in that tweet from Asif Shariar. Um, he said, if you look at the list, they think Guardiola's Bayern was better than Real Madrid's back to back to back Champions League winners. Was it? I think it probably was, to be honest. Guardiola's Bayern. Yeah. Uh, I, I always put my hand on the fire for Heinkes, but the, the Guardiola uh, era gave me a like, mixed bag feeling. It sure, it's the best football played in the German football history. I'll mm. give you that much. But, I mean, in the oh, end... That, that counts for nothing? <laughs> that's why I'm having a debate. That's why I'm not saying no right off the bat, because that counts for something. You're very right. Um, but having said that, every time it came to like the crunch time, like you know, the big game, the big semifinal game of the Champions League, he would have this tendency, Guardiola, to just overthink a very simple solution. And uh, yeah, we ended up bottling it every single time with the Champions League. Mm-hmm. So I think that although his football is a lot more elegant, technically elevated, cultivated, whatever you want to, you know, whatever adjective you want to add to it, um, in bold. the end, bold. <laughs> very bold. Extremely yeah, bold. Um, yeah. And, uh, Terminally think- bold. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I think in the end, the Heinkes era was arguably better than that one, if anything. And yeah, with the Madrid one, I mean, you, th- you win three Champions Leagues in what was it, three, uh, three back-to-back ones, wasn't it? Mm. So, I mean, that's a dynasty that's right there. Isn't it's it? a phenomenal achievement, Easy. but as a, as a team, were they a great team? Did they, did, I don't think they won, they won one title in that period, league title, didn't they? Mm. Well, you can argue that Barca won a bunch of league titles, but no champions. So, mm. same, it's it for Tad, isn't it? Like, you, you, can, you have to take one to take the other into account, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, as, as Asif also pointed out, we said that Man City were better than both of those teams. Guardiola's Man City. Obviously, I agree with that. <laughs> Does anyone disagree with that? Uh, if I had to rank him, I'd say Barca Guardiola, Man City Guardiola, Bayern Guardiola. Hmm. I, I don't think Guardiola City get actually get the credit they deserve. Neither do I, Joel. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> you turn up 119 points over two seasons and win the title the way you do. It's I, I, it's all and it's they won the first team to win the domestic treble in the in the England weren't they? Yep. 
That's domestic doesn't count. Does <laughs> count, mate. Does count. <laughs> <Absolutely> phenomenal. <laughs> Fra, any more suggestions from you? What? Who's the best uh, Italian team of all time? That's um. Uh, I would say. I would say. The Milan of the 90s of Sacchi, Capello, that Milan that changed foot, Italian football. And, uh, and for, of course, that one was, uh, was amazing. And uh, I will add also, of course, Inter of 2010, because it was, uh, let's, say, let's say that between Milan, uh, Milan changed more foot, the, the Italian football. So like, like Barcelona in 2000, 2008, it was a changer for Italian football. So the, Completely changed the idea of you know defensive playing of pressing, but of course Inter Milan was more. They did something extraordinary that year, and uh, you know it's the only Italian team who ever did a treble, so it's not something easy to do it. And but I also have to add Juventus. Uh, um, the last ten years of Juventus are incredible. So you you can say one team because they changed the three managers and uh, yeah. <laughs> hundred players, but it's a dynasty. Yeah. We talked about it before, and uh, I think they have to stay at least in the top five teams ever, this, this Juventus. Mm -hmm. I think that's the word of the day, isn't it? Dynasty, dynasty, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> and uh, Well, that's all we've got time for today. I've been Dan Burke. Thank you to Francesco, Danny and Joel for joining me. Thank you to everyone for listening at home as always, and we'll be back next week.